0: This is the SBI Show. Hello everybody, I'm Ivis and believe it or not, the MLS season is almost here. We're two weeks away from the start of the 2020 campaign, the 25th anniversary season, but even though it's still two weeks away from the official league games, five MLS teams begin CONCACAF Champions League action this week in the round of 16, the knockout rounds and the latest attempt by MLS to finally break through and win that first CONCACAF Champions League title. We have plenty to talk about. With the MLS season coming, there are clearly some huge storylines. Some of them are good storylines, some of them not so good storylines. And we're going to start off with one of the not so good storylines, the big news on Friday. FC Cincinnati head coach Ron Jans is stepped away from his position with the team while the team undergoes an investigation into allegations that he used a racial slur in the locker room. Now, obviously, this is a very, very touchy subject, and right now we're still trying to figure out just what happened. How do we get into this position, and what will happen with Jans and FC Cincinnati? And obviously, the timing of this is, is unbelievably awful with the season right around the corner. Uh, but of course, you can't really, that's really not that important, not as important as the fact that this needs to be investigated, and we need to figure out just what happened. And is it a case of just a clear misunderstanding, or is this a case of a coach? Who was insensitive and who said something that he shouldn't have said and said something that uh, wasn't necessarily an accident. And right now, clearly, there are those who, who are stepping forward to, to, to defend Jans and to, to say, you know what, this is the case of, uh, of a misunderstanding. Uh, according to the reports of the Cincinnati Enquirer, um, the report in the Enquirer said that uh, Jans was singing along to uh, a rap song in the, in the Cincinnati locker room and used the N word. Now, obviously, we're talking about a coach who uh, is relatively new to the United States, and, and you ask yourself, is this a case of a foreign a foreigner not understanding what's right and wrong, and what how things are viewed in the in the U.S. Is it as simple as that, or is that is that a little too convenient an excuse, and is this something that he sh- still should have known about? So that that's obviously the big issue, and then of course the question is, when it comes down to it, if somebody was uncomfortable with what happened, if somebody if somebody whether whether they were a minority, where they whether they were someone who was black or someone who just didn't appreciate or who felt uncomfortable hearing Jan say what he's alleged to have said, uh, if if someone was made to feel uncomfortable, then that's something that you have to clearly look into. And and obviously in the locker room setting, you know a lot of things that can happen in a locker room that that wouldn't necessarily happen in 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 normal public settings. But still, when it comes down to it, if somebody or some people were made to feel uncomfortable, then that's that's clearly something that the team has to look into and investigate. And obviously right now, Ron Jans is uh, you know, his 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 future's in in question a little bit, right? Because you have to ask yourself, how is Cincinnati gonna handle this? And there as of right now, there's an independent investigation taking place to see if this is just a case of a misunderstanding. Uh, one way or the other, it, it definitely needs to be looked into, and, and you have to ask yourself, you know, how do we get to this point? And also, um, what led to, to him being reported? And, you know, you kind of wonder, some people, you know, I've, I've already seen some of the questions, you know, why was this not just handled internally? If someone felt uncomfortable or felt that he said something he shouldn't have said, why didn't they approach him directly and and, and keep it in, in-house, right? That that's That's kind of... The question there, and is is this a case of of a player or players uh, disgruntled player or players who 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 weren't happy with Jens and saw this as an opportunity to uh, to undercut him or or to you know have a go at him and and that's obviously a pretty cynical way to look at things because we don't know we don't know what's going on and and you can't just assume that that this was reported for for nefarious reasons or if there isn't something legitimate to this or if people uh, couldn't have possibly felt offended and, and and if someone felt offended then they they, they have a right to, to step forward on this so we'll see what happens with that and uh, we'll see how Cincinnati handles it and we see we'll see how MLS handles it because uh, obviously this isn't a good look for the league especially when the the 25th anniversary season is around the corner and there there's so much kind of buzz building up about this season and how important it is and, and to have this situation develop and, and emerges is, is not a good look and it's something that definitely needs to be handled. Properly. In much better MLS news, Nashville SC has cleared up what had become a messy stadium project situation, reaching a new agreement with the city of Nashville on its future home, a stadium that has yet to start construction because of uh, some some issues. Basically, the new government, the new mayor, wasn't happy with the deal that that had been agreed to, and, and and really put the brakes on the project. And some negotiations took place. There was some some grandstanding, and there were there was even some threats of, of potentially pulling the the MLS expansion team from Nashville if things didn't get worked out. Long story short, Nashville SC's owner John Ingram has stepped up and put more money into the project to make the Nashville city government happy with the overall project. And now we will see construction of this stadium. And hopefully there are no more hiccups. There are no more things that stand in the way. Do I honestly think MLS was really going to pull out of Nashville if this didn't get resolved? I I never bought that. I never actually believed it. But I'm sure from a legal standpoint it's something that they could have done as a last resort. But when it came when it comes down to it, the fact that uh, John Ingram turned around and pretty much said, "Okay, look, I'll put the money up. I'll put the up to 54 million dollars more to make this happen." Uh, that tells me that that you know it was never really going to be a case of 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 trying to push the city into a deal it wasn't happy with. It was really a case of, you know what? Listen, John Ingram, you were supposed to get this deal done. Now there's complications and those have to and it has to come out of your pocket. And now hopefully this has been resolved and we will have a stadium in Nashville sooner than later. Uh, it's still, you know, a few years away. It, ha- it hasn't construction hasn't begun yet. Um, so now you wonder, is it going to be ready for 2022, or will it go beyond that? Um, for now, the Nashville SC will begin will begin play in at Nissan Stadium, and uh, you know, it's it's obviously a football stadium. It's bigger than they need for for the beginning, but uh, on the other hand, uh, as an expansion team, if they can fill that place a few times and really try to win over more fans, then then hopefully that. Uh, that can work out for them in the near future and and it doesn't become a a long-standing situation where you have kind of like with NYCFC and Yankee Stadium where you have them uh, basically in a stadium they don't they don't want to be in so uh, it's good news it's good that this has been resolved because uh, it it had definitely taken a turn for the worse uh, and it was a situation uh, clearly MLS was not happy with at all. Another Nashville, SC-related news: Nashville pulled off the big trade of the past week, acquiring Walker Zimmerman from LAFC in a blockbuster deal, a record, potentially record-setting deal uh, with LAFC. Uh, they sent six hundred thousand in general allocation money, three hundred and fifty thousand in twenty twenty-one general allocation money, and then a bunch of other stuff. I'm not gonna re- I'm not gonna break down all the, all the little details, but. They paid quite a bit. They paid a ton, which is you know what you'd expect for a, a best eleven caliber uh, center back in Walker Zimmerman, and it was definitely. I'm sure it surprised some people uh, at the time when the trade went down because you're thinking LaFC. Why would LaFC trade away its best eleven center back, uh, the really the the captain of its defense, uh, especially after the year that they had? Why would you mess with success? And it really boils down to the fact that. LAFC believes that Tristan Blackman is ready to step in and he is a talent he is that kind of talent that you can put into your into the heart of your defense and now you can move on you can trade Zimmerman and and score a huge package of 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 allocation money that you can put toward other positions and when it came down to it there was obviously the expectation that Blackman would slide in at right back and uh In the starting lineup, but really, when you look at where he projects positionally, while he can play right back, um, his future is as a center back, and that's really where he can thrive and be an elite level defender. And I think LAFC got a really good glimpse of that last season uh, when Walker Zimmerman went went down injured, uh, and they had to put Blackman into the starting lineup as a center back, and he really he really thrived in that role. It's not a case of, oh, do do they think Blackman's better than Zimmerman now? It's not really that at all, but it's a case of if they feel like he has the ability to be just as good, if not better, with development, and he's ready to start now, why not put him in now instead of maybe holding back his development or putting him in a position that's really not where he should be long-term. So I totally understand the deal from LAFC's perspective and, and... LAFC really has impressed me with the way they've built their team and with the decisions they make because they do not hesitate. They, they do not hesitate. If they feel that they need to move somebody or if they feel somebody is ready uh, to step into a certain role, they'll make the moves they need to make. They'll they'll sell the player, they'll trade the player they need to trade, and they'll give the opportunity to the player that they believe in. And, and there, there's just not he- any hesitation. And, and, and there's a reason why they've been able to put together uh, this unbelievable squad that they have and and the scary part is um they're not done. The LAFC is going to make more moves and and they now with this allocation money uh you know they're going to go get a right back. They're going to go on the international market. And I know some people thought, "Oh well, they trade Zimmerman, maybe they have a center back in mind." But no, I tell you what folks, I really believe Blackman is the center back that LAFC has in mind. As far as Nashville goes, your first-year team, uh if you if you see Walker Zimmerman as someone who can really anchor your defense and 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 building a stable defense is so huge when it comes to having a successful first season. And obviously you want to have good attackers as well, but uh, I really feel that, I mean, we've seen it, that it, it, it's so key to that early success to have a stable back line and, and bringing in a Zimmerman is huge and and from that standpoint if you're in Nashville you are feeling pretty good you have not, Na- you have Zimmerman in the middle there you have uh, Dax McCarty in in uh, in the defensive midfield role and right there that's a pretty damn impressive spine uh to start building around and obviously you have questions about Nashville's attack and is it going to be good enough uh but that 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 remains to be seen but you totally understand why they wanted to go after Zimmerman and look let's face it Zimmerman's one of the best defenders in MLS so It makes all the sense in the world why they would want him. Now, LAFC, I totally get why LAFC did it. And if you ask me who I think made out better, obviously the two teams are in different positions in terms of where they are in their needs and where they are in their development. Nashville needed a Zimmerman. And LAFC had the luxury of being able to trade a Zimmerman because they have a Tristan Blackman who, for me... Could end up being even better than Zimmerman. I mean, I think I really believe that Blackman could be that kind of Aaron Long type of defender who develops maybe playing other positions. You know, originally playing other positions. When Blackman came out of college, he was a fullback. Um, but once you know Bob Bradley got his hands on him and was able to develop and coach coach him, he saw. possibilities and he saw a player who could be an elite center back and that's really what they're banking on and if by if a year from now we're talking about tristan blackman as an all-star center back as a u.s national team call up you'll understand why lafc made the move that they did another mls expansion team news inter miami cf has uh is closing in on the signing of rodolfo pizarro who. Has arrived in Miami. He's begun uh, training with the team, but the the deal is not official just yet. It sounds like they're putting the finishing touches on it. Uh, but he he did he was spotted at the training facility. He's in town. He uh, he got the, the the warm welcome at the airport, uh, and uh, now it's just a, a case of uh, you know crossing the t's and dotting the i's. But Pizarro will be an Inter Miami player, and he should be ready to go. For the season opener, and uh, that's obviously a huge pickup for Inter Miami. It's been an interesting offseason for them, with so many expectations about star players, and and would Inter Miami bring in the big marquee names? And uh, obviously, there's that question: would it? Would they sign these the big names, the Edison Cavani types, or would they go after uh, m- maybe younger South American options who who might not have the same uh, the same name cachet and uh, maybe more along the lines of that the Atlanta United approach. And uh, there's been some questions about that. Uh, which way should you go? And, you know, obviously there's some people who believe that, you know, Inter-Miami with it being David Beckham's team and it being in a, in a city like Miami that you need the big names. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks, it, Rodolfo Pizarro is kind of, is a little bit of both. Obviously he's not the the marquee international name that that you, you know like a Cavani but he is one of the best players in CONCACAF he, he's a he's a proven winner he's won multiple titles uh in Mexico and obviously with the CONCACAF Champions League so he he is the proven quantity and and he also has the star power uh particularly when when you think about the Mexican community and obviously in Miami uh, the Mexican community isn't as, as big as it is in, in other parts of the U.S. but still uh I think he he help will should help from marketing standpoint but more importantly on the field he is a special player and he will be one he will step right into mls and be one of the absolute best midfielders in the league and you can argue he'll be right it'll he'll be right up there with uh carlos vela in that on that short list of of one of the very top players in the league so uh if you're a miami fan you should be very excited to see him joining into miami Now the question is, who will be the next designated player? Uh, They have one designated player slot to fill, and Diego Alonso uh, has come out and said that he expects or he believes that uh, uh, Inter-Miami could have all three DP slots filled before the start of the season. And and one thing we know for sure, that the other DP slot will not be filled by Roger Martinez. Uh, Paul McDonough came out and uh, basically, put a, put put, a, put that one to bed. Uh, the club, Club America forward, had lo- been linked to, to Miami for a long time, and it didn't work out uh, for whatever reason. Uh, and now they have that de- designated player slot, and the question will be, are they going to fill it before the season starts? Obviously, the MLS transfer window is uh, open now, and it runs through May, so that it's not as if there's a deadline looming. But yeah, you know, if you're Miami are you trying to push for a deal to get done so you have them ready to start the season or do you take your time and make sure you get the right player and from that standpoint I think you know what if they have to wait a bit longer for somebody uh if they have to wait into April or May or even in even if they have to wait into the summer window if you, if you have to wait for the right player you wait for the right player and actually I think when you look at uh, Inter Miami's roster uh, I really like the squad they've put together uh, they I think they're already with what they've added and especially now with adding Pizarro they are a competitive team they're a team with and without having yet filled that third DP slot I think they are a team that can compete for a playoff spot and obviously Diego Alonso has a big job in in trying to form this group so quickly obviously they they've been you know he he's a bit of a late arrival in the process and so he's got a lot of catching up to do, and he has a lot of pieces to 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 meld together. So we know that process is is not always easy. So could it take some time for for Miami to, to kind of find a rhythm and, and really start to play start to play to its potential? Of course, it's gonna take some time, but I like the talent that they've assembled. And obviously with Bizarro, that's a huge piece uh to the middle of that attack. And and you know what? I think they're gonna be a fun team to watch. <laughs> Elsewhere in MLS, the uh, New York Red Bulls are uh, obviously undergoing a, uh, a bit of a rebuilding process. Not, not a bit, but a serious rebuilding process uh, as Luis Robles and Bradley Wright Phillips have moved on to new teams. And Kamar Lawrence and Michael Murillo have, have, have both gone to Anderlecht. So now you have a team in transition. And in, now instead of people looking at the Red Bulls as a potential MLS Cup contender, the question heading into 2020 is, is, this, is, there, is the Red Bull team even a playoff team? And uh, that's going to lead to some interesting discussions. And and already Chris Armist, the head coach, is starting to face some of that scrutiny. And uh, he he spoke to the media recently and uh, made some interesting comments when when asked about the the goals for the Red Bulls in 2020. And and obviously in recent years the talk has always been about winning that elusive MLS Cup. And obviously Red Bulls fans are desperate to to finally experience that and have their team win. That first MLS Cup and it hasn't happened yet, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen this year. And 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 conveniently enough, Chris Armis is not looking at MLS Cup as the goal. At least he's not. That's not what he's talking about publicly. And 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 you know, basically, to sum up his words, uh, it's about excellence and not expectations. And that definitely sounds like the talk of a coach who knows his team isn't good enough or isn't as good as it used to be. And and I know he's going to get. A good amount of criticism for that but i think it's a little misguided i think the uh the criticism really needs to be aimed at red bulls ownership because when it comes down to it if you're chris armis you coach the team you don't build the team you don't decide how much to spend i'm pretty sure if chris armis if it were up to chris armis or even dennis hamlet or even the new sporting director uh, if it were up to them i'm sure they would spend more than they're spending but right now the red Bulls owners are not spending as much as other teams in MLS. And as a result, you have a team that's not, that's going to struggle to keep up with, with the, uh, the, the teams that are, that are really kind of jumping ahead of the pack in terms of really bolstering their squads. When you look at the LAFCs, Atlanta's Toronto, Seattle, I mean, these are teams that are really making, uh, power moves with their squads and, and the Red Bulls have fallen behind and, and it's tough to see them catch up. And when it comes down to it if you're chris Armers, would you there's no way to win when it comes to what you say because if you're chris Armers and you say hey we are going for the mls cup we we believe we can win it um you're really setting your team up for 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 failure because this team is not good enough and even if you know that this team is not good enough you can't come out and say that right chris Armers is not going to come out and say hey this team, look at the look at this roster. You, do, we we realistically can't win MLS Cup. He cannot say that, so he's stuck in the in this position where he pretty much has to, you know, do the usual coach speak about excellence and about you know getting better every day and all you know all the typical uh, coach comments. But uh, uh, it's safe to say that the days of talking about MLS Cup and 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 really that being the the realistic goal for the Red Bulls just isn't the case anymore because they've lost some really big pieces and they have not added more pieces because when it came down to it last year with the team they had last year, they were still a few pieces away from being an elite MLS Cup contender. And now that they've lost a Luis Robles, a Bradley Wright Phillips, a Kamar Lawrence. I mean, Kamar Lawrence is a huge loss for them. One of the best, if not the best fullback in MLS, definitely for my money, the best defensive left back now you have to replace him. And uh, it's not going to be easy. And so far, the, the signings that the team has made have been pretty underwhelming. So uh, I I kind of uh, I, I sympathize with Chris Armers' situation. Uh, and when it comes down to it, anything this team does, it's going to come down to what Chris Armers can do with this squad. If the, if the Red Bulls make the playoffs, it it means that it was a great, absolutely great coaching job by Chris Armis because I don't know if he has a playoff roster right now. And if they fall short, he's obviously gonna take the brunt and he's gonna get fired. And as much as that, you know, you could say that's a little unfair, that's just the reality of, of life in coaching. Uh, so I'm not gonna kill him too much for not talking MLS cup because he's he's really in a no-win situation. And as much as I, I think Red Bulls fans know this. I think Red Bulls fans have to be realistic when they look at this roster now and you think about the teams that they had when they were winning supporter shield this current team is not anywhere near that good now obviously they have some good players they have Kaku uh they have Aaron long they've got some good pieces but in terms of top to bottom compared to the you know laFCs and Seattles and Atlantas no they're not even close so right now the question is will this team even make the playoffs and that's really yeah, the days of, of 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 hoping and believing and, and and realistically thinking MLS Cup is is a possibility those days are on hold for now Right now, the, the the question is, can this team make the playoffs? And if they make the playoffs, I think that's actually going to be a big accomplishment considering the roster they have right now. <laughs> next up is the interview portion of the show, the first of two interviews that we'll have as part of this episode, and up next we have Jack Harrison, the former New York City FC winger, currently at Leeds United. Uh, he He's uh, playing for Marcelo Bielsa, the, uh, the crazy and genius manager for Leeds, and right now Leeds is currently in second place in the league championship, in position for promotion. Uh, from the league championship to the Premier League. And uh, I actually interviewed Jack Harrison a few weeks back when uh, when actually they were in first place and, and looking like uh, promotion was in the bag. And right now, things have obviously changed and they're, they're in a tight race now uh, to hold on to one of the automatic promotion spots. So uh, it's still up for grabs a bit, but uh, I was able to catch up with Jack and 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 really kind of pick his brain on life o- over in England and, and some of the unique experiences that he's had because let's face it, there aren't many... Uh, players who who have who started their professionals careers in MLS and also had a chance to work under the likes of Pep Guardiola and Marcelo Bielsa, so um, he he definitely offers a unique perspective on things, and it, and it's great just to catch up with him. We're talking about a player who, you know, played in college. He played at Wake Forest for a year, and then he was the number one pick in the MLS draft by NYCFC, and, and had a really great run at NYCFC before being sold to Manchester City now he's on loan at Leeds uh, trying to help Leeds gain promotion and uh he's doing really well right now and he's uh, he's definitely a great testament uh he's a great uh an example of what uh sort of talent you're seeing come out of MLS now and and he's someone who's not afraid to, to to give MLS credit for that for helping his development as a player and now joining us from England is the Leeds midfielder and former number one MLS draft pick Jack Harrison Jack how are you doing today
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. So I'm sure uh, people are people over here on this side of the pond are, are anxious to to hear from you and see how, how you've been doing. Obviously, anyone who's who's been following along has seen that you, you've had a you're having a great season at Leeds, uh, really breaking through there. Um, just tell me what, what what's it been like this year and what what's kind of been different for you this year as you've kind of really kind of hit the hit the ground running.
1: Um, yeah I, th- I mean obviously i really miss it over there in the in the u.s and it's so nice to have you know such a, a a strong following from from there even now you know being so far away so i always appreciate um all the fans and stuff in in the u.s um but yeah i think i was i was in new york last summer um i was training a lot with uh andrew fitzgerald and oscar vigela in new york and uh, working on some some things that i can improve on and um so yeah, I spent about maybe about a month there, just trying to get ready for the season, and I think it helps help me out a lot. Um, just physically being um, being the fittest I can be, and making sure I was ready ready for preseason and ready for the season. Especially you know playing under uh, Marcelo Bielsa, he demands so much from his players, which is you know always always a good thing, and he always makes sure that we're in, in the best shape possible. So I had to make sure that I was ready for that, and then also. Working on the skill side and um, w- working on ways that I can improve myself uh, with Oscar, uh, we we looked over some tapes, um, some highlights, and targeted some things that I could improve on. And um, yeah, we worked on them for for about a month. And uh, so yeah, I think it's really paid dividends coming into this season. I, I'm really happy with how things are going, and and um, I'm just looking to to continue that. We, I think we're in. Coming up to the last 20 games of the season now, and you know promotion means so much to to Leeds and and this club, I and mean, you can really feel it when you're over here. I know it's hard uh, watching through the TV to really understand like uh, how much it means to to everybody here, but you know it's it's a huge deal, and I'm just trying to trying to make sure that happens.
0: Um, make sure that happens this year with the Leeds. the manager marcelo bielsa obviously he's a he's a legendary manager what, what's that been like to to, to play for him and, and what was that first experience like because obviously you know his reputation you know the, the 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 name that he has what what uh what was that first experience like
1: it's incredible really nothing like i've i've ever worked with before i think um you know i it, when i first arrived here i um like I, I, don't think I met him until like three days into training or something like that. Um, so I, I, was you know taken a bit off guard by that. But is the the training itself is you know it's really unique. You you can learn so much if you really you know pay attention to all the details that he's trying to trying to pull out of the game and try to try to help you and and give you a different perspective on on football. And uh, to be working with him is you know it's a pleasure. I'm really grateful for the last year and a half so far um i've learned so much just being under him he he, he demands a lot uh, but you know like any any good manager in the world you always demand a lot from your players and um, so no I'm, I'm happy to be to be playing for him and uh, just try to take in as much as i can
0: how, how tough was that those early those early sessions because i, I, I it's a it's kind of mythic how uh how, how he kind of puts his players through that that physical challenge of uh, of just getting ready. Like, wh- wh- I mean, was it as t- was it tougher than you, you thought it'd be, or was it as tough? Like, wh- how was that early experience?
1: Yeah, I think it was definitely a lot tougher than um, to, than what I expected. I mean, I, I I knew about him and his reputation, and you know, people call him a local, <laughs> um, but you know, when when I arrived to training, it was it was completely different to to anything. That I could ever imagine really um so I think it took me a little bit of time to kind of adapt to that and I think he understands that as well he's he's very understanding with his, uh, with his players you know he he knows uh, that his training is unique and it, it can t- take some time to adjust as well so he he always has the uh, the patience with players and um re- really kind of encourage them to to get the most out of what he wants you know and so it, it took a little bit of time and I think you know it it was a little bit noticeable in my first year, but I think after I understood I uh, started to understand what, you know, he really wants and, you know, kind of working working together. And over time you you always feel more comfortable and you find out things that you know, that, that he likes and what he doesn't like you to do. And I I'm just trying to put all of that into into my game and I think, you know, working with him and throughout the throughout the season I started to, to improve towards the end of the last season and Coming into this season, already again learning so much as well, and on top of the season before, it only helps, you know. So,
0: how's the communication like with him? I mean, obviously, he. I, my understanding, like, so, I don't know how your Spanish is, but how, how how does that how does that how does that work?
1: <laughs> well, my Spanish has improved the last two years. I can tell you that for sure. But, um, <laughs> uh, no, he's he, he's. Uh, it, it can be tough, you know, with the the language barrier. I think we we always have translators around to to translate what he's saying and. Um, but you know he has uh, he has a lot of meetings, not only with the team but but individually as well. I think uh, before before every game we always have an individual meeting about fifteen minutes uh, with him, just looking over over the previous game that you played, just all of your highlights, and he he's um, he's kind of telling you what he wants, what he doesn't want, what was good, what wasn't good, what you can improve on, and. Um, I think it's really good especially for for young players learning the game you know like myself I'm always trying to to see where I can improve and you know having that sit down with him um you know you can really really learn a lot from these things yeah the the communication that way is good you know he always wants the the best out of his players and he's always going to demand that as well so even though there is a language barrier you know it doesn't stop him from getting getting any messages across
0: it, it, now we we talked about this uh, earlier, um, all, all bef- before we started recording about how it's been four years since you turned pro, and when <laughs> yeah. you when you when you when you think the time's flown by, it's been a, it seems like it's super fast four years. But the, when you, when you think about where you are now and and how much you've learned in that time, I mean, do you look back on that that kind of rookie fresh out of Wake Forest, Jack Harrison, and think, man, <laughs> I had no I did I had no idea what was going on back then.
1: Yeah, no, of course. I always, you know, I I think it's been an incredible journey, looking from where I've come from, and, um, you know, the last, like you said, the last four years was absolutely flown by. I didn't even realize that it had been four years since <laughs> since uh, I was drafted, but which was an amazing experience. But you know, I I always think back like, oh, I, I wish I'd have known what I know now, like playing with Andrea or David and Frank and all these guys. You know, I I, I always look back and. And say to myself I wish I knew but it's that that's part of the journey you know it's a it's that experience that kind of helps you to grow and you can learn from it and um, continue to to improve yourself as a player
0: now how much communication uh, do you have with uh, with the folks at Manchester City obviously you're in a unique situation you're on loan uh you you're at Leeds and obviously that you you, you get fully immersed in, in life at Leeds but how, how much how much do you speak to the folks at, at in Manchester and and how, how much do you get a sense that they're kind of keeping tabs on your on your progress
1: yeah i think it's an incredible system that they have set up there you know it, it can be really hard as a as a lone player in any team to go out and to to succeed by yourself you know without having communication at, at places but i've been really lucky with man city they have um a special like team of of staff that that work only with the loan players and you know that consists of uh, like like a head a head loan staff that looks over everything they have a psychologist uh, like a, a a trainer they have yeah. um, like a video analysis a coach to to talk over your your games with and you know they have everything there Set up only for the long players as well, so and then they report back to all the top guys at, at Man City in the first team and and with Pep and stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a really good system that they have to to continue supporting the long players. You know, although they are signed with the first team and everything, but they they you know they make them feel like they're still part of the club despite being far away. So it's it's a really good system. I'm in contact with them quite a lot every other week or so. Um just just looking on, on ways that I can improve and just kind of checking in and making sure everything's all right and stuff so it, it's um yeah I, I'm really grateful to have that behind me I know not not every club has that so uh, right. I've been lucky really
0: how, how much uh, in your time since since you made the move to uh, to England uh how much have, how much time have you spent actually training have you had a chance to train with City work with with Pep uh, how many how many times have you, have you had that opportunity
1: uh, well, the only time I was able to do that was after my loan spell at uh, Middlesbrough. Um, I was actually in New York again for the uh, after right after the season in right. two thousand eighteen, and then I went straight to preseason uh, with the first team, and that was my first experience working with Pep, which was unbelievable. Just uh, spending a few weeks there on preseason, playing against you know Liverpool, Dortmund, and right. Bayern Munich, you know, in all around the U.S. actually. Um, it was it was an incredible experience short sure, but you know I learned so much playing with again top players um in the first team and working with pep was was unbelievable as well I think the the first day you know he he, he walked out onto the pitch and introduced himself to to all the players it was it was a good time really because um, a lot of the the main players in the first team were away with the world Cup or or they were taking time off so it was a it was a good opportunity for for the young players to to show him what, what they've got, really. So, um, you know, the first day he, he came out and introduced himself to all the players and he knew everything about all of his players. And he, he asked me about, you know, playing with David and being in New York. And uh, yeah, so that, that really took me by surprise that, you know, he'd actually taken time out to, to learn about the players that he was he was coaching with, even though, you know, we were all young and only right. only some of us were going to be with him for a short amount of time on preseason. You know, it was it was a really special moment for him to 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 know something about you know all of his players and he didn't have to do that like i said it was only a couple of weeks working with him but I, right. I learned so much and you can really understand why you know he's one of the best if not the best manager in the world the the way he c- conducts his training sessions his his coaching staff the players everything about him is you know it just indicates a you know an amazing manager
0: now he now obviously when you're on, when you're on the books for one team and you're on loan for another team you know some, sometimes it, it can be easy to get to to maybe lose focus and and worry too much about can i impress the, the, the you know my my the, the team that that i'm signed for it, it, was it was there some of that when you first got there or, or did you did it take some time for you to kind of maybe lock in and realize i need to focus just where i am and not think about oh you know
1: Yeah, I think I think it's. I've always tried not to to uh, like think too far ahead or get too caught up in you know all all the stuff in the future. I think you can only really focus on what you're doing at at the moment in time. And you know, once you go on loan, like at that moment in time, you know you're with the team, whatever that you're 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 on loan to. So you have to do everything that you can to improve the team improve you know the teammates around you and ultimately that improves yourself as well and, and i think when you do that when you start focusing on that that then then uh, you know that's that's when you start to to uh make make other people intrigued or grab the interest of you know the, the others from your from your parent your parent club or, or whatever it whatever it is that you signed with but i think it's important not to get too caught up in that because there's there's so much that that could happen and you know there's with me I I know I've uh, since I've been with Leeds I've always just been trying to uh, focus on doing what I can and trying to improve myself in places and you know if you get the interest from from other people then then that's great but if not then you just got to continue working on on what you can and controlling what you can as well and um, that's been the biggest part for me I think
0: and it's been an interesting year. Uh, y- from my understanding as far as as far as your time it leads in terms of positionally like like you've been used uh maybe in 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 some in some different positions how's that been like for you and uh has it has been a is it been a smooth transition learning these new these new kind of roles and and what's that been like uh yeah i
1: think the the new roles has, has come with um the difference in formations really i think um Primarily in, in New York it was 4-3-3 four, four, three, three, and I played on the right of the the top three um, and since I've come back to Leeds it's been on all on the left side and you know some people say oh it's not that different but I think under different managers and um, under different circumstances and demands then it, it can be quite quite different um, but you know again it's it's another position that um, you know I, I, I'd like to add to my locker and um, just have that versatility, you know, to to be able to move around and you know help out the team in any way I could. So uh, it's it's been interesting playing on the lesson side, but you know it's an experience that, that's going to help me in the future, and you know I've been grateful for that too.
0: Just to wrap up here, definitely appreciate the time, Jack. Uh, we, we've covered we've covered quite a quite a bit here. It, it, just in terms overall of MLS, um, you know, in the United States, I'm sure you're aware that. You have, fo- you have folks who follow MLS, and then you have, you have a lot of soccer fans who, who who follow European soccer but maybe don't follow MLS, maybe kind of look down on MLS. As someone who, who played in MLS, developed in MLS, and moved on to, now to Europe, wh- 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 how did MLS pre- prepare you, and do you feel like, it is it a bit of an underrated league? I mean, does it get the credit Cause it deserves? Because I feel like there are players who have who've been able to, 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 to use it as a springboard.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, each, each step of my career, I feel like it's been uh, a solid stepping step stone to prepare me for that next level. You know, going from Wake Forest to, to New York and going from New York, uh, coming back to England, I think it's been a great stepping stone. I think it is different. There's a lot of things that are different, not only with the standard, but they, like like what comes around it. I think, you know, the, the fans are um, incredible here. They demand so much from the players and they can be quite ruthless at times and that's you know a, a, a new experience in itself you know in, in New York I was really lucky to, to 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 play with the fans there that you know they showed me so much love and I was always really appreciative of that but I never really uh, understood the difference you know if if you were on the other side and you know I, I'd experienced some of that coming back over this way and it can it can be quite difficult um, but in terms of the the standard I think you know like you said I think it is an underrated league I, I know a lot of people On this side of the pond that uh, look down on the MLS and kind of call it retirement league and all that stuff but you know I think it's an incredible league I think it's growing so fast as it's a brilliant opportunity for for young players to showcase themselves and really make that jump uh, across to Europe you know there's been a bunch of a bunch of players now that have have done that and you know it, it can be and not only done that but been successful as well like you know you know you look at Almiron as well and alfonso davis as well they've all come over and they're succeeding they're able to hold their own at, you know some of the top teams in england or or germany or wherever it may be you know i think it's it, it's an incredible opportunity for for players to do that and you know i think when when people talk about it being a bad league or saying how you know saying all this stuff about it i think it it really disappoints me because they they don't they don't understand you know what this league could be or where it's going and the uh, what, it, what it could hold in the future as well so I'm really excited to to look uh, where the league goes and you know ultimately I'd 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 love to love to have that opportunity to, to play there again you know I think it, the lifestyle out there is unbelievable I was like I said before I was so happy playing out there and um, you know, it's something you know I'd love to be able to do again in the future. But you know, it's 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 growing. You know, the league is is growing rapidly. There's so many good players in the league now, and the competition is increasing as well. So, I'm I'm really interested to see where it goes in you know the next few years.
0: And then last but certainly not least, you, you're in the middle of your season uh, at Leeds and obviously a, a ton of games still to play. We all know about the history of Leeds and, 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 and what it would mean to, to be promoted. What do you think it's going to mean uh, if if Leeds is able to succeed and and get promoted? Oh
1: my gosh, I, I mean, I I can't even imagine, you know, what the city would be like. I think, I feel like the city revolves around Leeds United. Everywhere I go, you know, everyone everyone's always telling me, come on let's do it this year this is our year this is our year you know and you really see how much it means to to not only the fans but to everyone at the club um you know all the players and stuff it's it's an incredible feeling to to be a part of that and you know I, I'm just really hopeful that we can we can do it this year I, I really believe we can we're in a great position right now and you know if we continue doing what we've we've done so far then there's no reason why we we shouldn't be promoted you know so there's there's nothing more I want right now than to be promoted with Leeds and um <laughs> yeah I think it it means so much to to the city and and everyone around the club there's so many Leeds fans everywhere all of, all over the world in fact everywhere I've gone even in bahamas and everywhere it was, there's always Leeds fans in new york and <laughs> You know, it's it's hard to understand how big of a club they actually are. Right. So, and,
0: I, and I'm sure you're getting fans telling you to stick around after this season. I mean, they they probably want, <laughs> at this point, I think they probably want you to stay. How much uh, how are you starting to get that?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, a few people wanting me to to sign a permanent deal. <laughs> there's still a few people that want me to leave, but, you know, I've, <laughs> I've kind of, I've kind of um, uh, come to accept that there's always going to be, be those people here, you know. It's a, it's a big club so you know that all the fans demand a lot from the players and everything so that I, <laughs> like i said before it can be quite ruthless at times but i'm learning to manage that and yeah it's uh i'm just i'm just looking to to do what i can and hopefully we'll see what happens at the end of the season
0: well great well i uh, definitely appreciate the time jack and uh you know good luck the rest of the way this year and uh hopefully we can uh reconnect after you after you help Leeds game promotion and uh you know definitely <laughs> good, good luck getting that done yeah that'd be brilliant thank you so much and once again that's Jack Harrison who uh, was in the starting lineup for Leeds United in their recent victory over Bristol City uh, that helped snap a recent uh, a winless skid for them and now they're actually three points clear uh, in second place now and in, 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 in a bit of a better uh, position in terms of holding on to one of those automatic promotion spots right now West Brom is four points clear of Leeds in first place atop the league championship but right now Leeds is is looking like they've uh, they've shaken off that that really really bad run of results that they had after the winter break, and uh, coincidentally, after after uh, my interview with Jack Harrison, uh, which you know put, I had to put on a shelf for for quite a few weeks, but luckily I was able to bring it uh, bring it out now, and, and and just in time for Leeds to start turning things around. So uh, hopefully they can get the job done and gain promotion, and Jack Harrison can be part of that. And uh, again, he's part of the the Manchester City setup. He is. On um, the books at Man City, obviously Man City's uh, dealing with their own situation now with uh, with the recent penalty uh, being banned from the Champions League and, and it still remains to be seen what's going to happen with that. But as far as Jack Harrison goes, he's obviously a, a great example of, of a player who, who came out of MLS and is doing really well. So uh, for those of you curious how he was doing, there you go. That's your update and uh, make sure you keep track of how he and Leeds do the rest of the way. Moving on to the U.S. men's national team front. Now, obviously, the the national team isn't in action right now. They don't play again until March. But obviously, there's a lot going on with players relating to the national team and the Americans abroad front. And and the the big news recently, uh, Tyler Adams uh, suffering an injury that's going to keep him out of RB Leipzig's upcoming Champions League match against Tottenham. And that would have been uh, Adams' Champions League debut, his UEFA Champions League debut, uh, but now he's going to have to wait a while. He's going to be sidelined at least a week, and uh, remains to be seen how long the injury uh, is going gonna, is gonna to keep him out. Uh, but he's, miss, he's missing our Ar- he missed RB he missed RB Leipzig's match against Werder Bremen, uh, big win for RB Leipzig uh, on Saturday. But he uh, and he will miss the Tottenham match. So we'll see how what happens going forward. I know that it's obviously a frustrating situation with 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 his injuries uh, that cost him half of the twenty nineteen calendar year. Uh, and he had only recently worked his way back into the regular starting rotation at Leipzig and was doing really well. And hopefully this is just a, a temporary blip and he can get back into action. But obviously that that was some bad news, especially in the, in, in the wake of recent uh, developments with Zach Steffen. Who was forced to return to Manchester for some more evaluations on his knee? Uh, he's had persistent issues with his knee. Uh, it, it was originally uh, tendonitis, but right now they're looking to see what is going on and why his knee is not getting better. and And if you're a US fan, you have to be concerned about that, obviously, because he is the US number one. And uh, right now, it's a little touch and go. And it's you know it's hard to to it's hard to project him being part of the March friendlies as of right now. Of course, he could return. Get back into the lineup for Fortuna Dusseldorf, but for right now, you have to think. Well, it's looking like maybe uh Greg Berhalter is going to have to turn to other options for those friendlies, like a Sean Johnson, uh, Brad Guzan, Bill Hamid. Uh, one of one of those players to step into the starting lineup. Sean Johnson is probably the front runner right now. Uh But some good news on the Americans abroad injury front slash U.S. national team. Tim Weah is back for Lille. Uh, he had resumed training in January, but he had yet to get on the field he is in the 11 uh, sorry not the 11 he is in the uh, he he will be in uniform for Lille's upcoming match against Marseille on Sunday uh, and that's obviously a huge development uh, for a player who's been out of action for six months uh, coming off of the under 20 world cup that he had the big transfer from PSG to Lille uh, and then he was in a starting lineup for their season opener but then obviously he had the serious uh, hamstring injury and that's kept him out for this long Hopefully he can get back on the field, and if he can get on the field, you have to think he's a possibility for the March friendlies for the U.S. national team. Uh, he's actually age-eligible for Olympic qualifying, but you have to wonder, will Leal want to release him for the Olympic tournament cons- considering uh, he was out for so long? Um, obviously, it's a little different um, with the U.S. senior team friendlies because they have to release him for those. They don't have to release him for Olympic qualifying, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there Um Berhalter let it be known that he was planning to call Weah in for the friendlies back in September before he suffered the injury. Uh, He obviously could be a a big help for the Olympic qualifying team. So who knows? Maybe U.S. soccer can work its magic and convince Lille to let him play in that. Uh, But for right now, we have to see him get on the field first and see how he does get on the field, if he can be healthy and and make an impact and, and start getting regular playing time. Because he needs to get playing time to really put himself in a position to be... A useful addition to either of those U.S. teams come March. Now, up next is our second interview of the episode. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a chance to sit down with U.S. Under Twenty Men's National Team Coach Anthony Hudson. Uh, the U.S. Under Twenties had a camp down in Florida, actually at the same time as the U.S. Senior Team. When uh, the the, the U.S. MNT had to switch their camp from Qatar to Florida, uh, so I had a chance to get down there and and, and do some interviews and and sit down with Anthony Hudson and really just talk about the the position and and also what he went through in Colorado and and the the way the ugly way that things ended there and obviously when he was hired as U20 coach there was a lot of criticism about the hire because we're talking about a guy who really did not do well in Colorado and 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 ended in in a pretty disappointing fashion and obviously he made some comments that that really kind of threw his team under the bus on his way out the door in Colorado so uh, that did not leave a good taste in the mouths of uh, of American soccer fans. So all of a sudden, he's handed the U.S. under-20 job. And you wonder, is this the guy that, that U.S. soccer should be should be putting in charge of what has always been a very important team and an important program? So, you know, it was good to to get a chance to speak to, to Hudson and really kind of understand him because I'll, I'll be the first to admit I've had my doubts about him as a coach for some time now. I still remember when the U.S. played New Zealand in a friendly, uh, what I want to say was like four years ago now, and looking up Hudson's bio and his info and his background, and and, and I knew that he was born in the U.S. and uh, his father, you know, is from England and played uh, played for the Seattle Sounders of the old NASL, and that's how he was, he uh, ended up being born here. Um, but his career track record, his career path, is just very unique, and 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 leaves you wondering what's the deal with Anthony Hudson. So it was just really good to sit down with him, and kind of try to understand him a little better and and it was definitely an eye-opening discussion uh just to kind of try to understand where he's coming from how he views uh the way things went down in Colorado and and how he views the job that he has now and uh you know it's still it's gonna the proof will be in the results and how he's able to to mold this under 20 program look he took over for Tab Ramos, who who was such an outstanding coach for the U twenty program for so many years, so those are big shoes to fill, uh, and Hudson also has to deal with trying to kind of erase the bad memories of his stint with the Colorado Rapids. So we'll see if he can do it. But in talking to him, it was it was definitely interesting, just to get his explanation on things and where he sees the U S under twenty program headed, and uh, it, it was interesting. So it was uh, I was definitely. Uh, uh, glad that I had the chance to talk to him. So if uh, if you're interested in what he has to say and then what he's doing with the program, make sure you give it a listen right now. see. the time in Colorado didn't go as you would have hoped when you were hired, the initial reaction, just looking at the record in Colorado, people just assume, is this guy the right is he, fit? Is he, why hire this guy? So what would be your answer to someone... Asking
2: what you bring to the table, what what, what makes you the right guy? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a it's a you know a fair point. If you just look at the last year and a half, I think um, I don't think there's any coach or manager that you know hasn't hasn't had a bad experience in a club. I think um, you know my experience in Colorado, I learned some big lessons. There were things that definitely I would have done differently. You know, there were things that I of what we did Um, and and I've certainly come away much better for it better coach uh, better person stronger person even more determined Um, and then obviously prior to that I think having um, I think the the experience for this role is I think really really suited because I took over an international team in the Middle East and worked with um, a, a young group of players under 20s Olympic team um, and we had you know, the first success they'd ever had and you know, we, we were you know, really fortunate to, to win in the tournament in, in the region there which they'd never done before at the time at that age group and then obviously to, to go to the first team and, and what that did for me was um, you know, I was able to bring a lot of the young players into the first team I was the uh, national team manager over in the Middle East, and then obviously moving to New Zealand. My 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 remit there in New Zealand was um, similar to uh, Colorado. Really. They, they wanted me to change first of all the playing style, and also to build a culture where you know people were proud, and you know, players were proud to come up and rep- come to the national team and represent. And uh, and I'm and I'm and I've come away and i you know, feel really proud of what we did there and, and uh, you know we you know I walked into a setup where you know, the, big, the biggest players all the players playing in England you know, players in Europe were never available um, players missing windows things like that and I think we you know the the experience, the three and a half years in New Zealand, we, you know, we built a really strong culture. We had everyone available for the biggest games. Um, but I think more than that, I think what what we worked really hard at doing was making sure the 17s, the 20s, 23s, and the first team were all aligned. So we had a, we had a, um, we had a, a style of play all the way through the age groups. Um, We worked very hard hard with the younger coaches. I used to bring the younger coaches with me in the first team. We used to spend a lot of time with the 20s. Um, We brought a lot of young players into the first team. We 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 brought a significant amount of young players, gave them debuts, and gave some real young kids debuts with the national team. Um, and 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 I think we were able to give those young players a chance because. Were doing, they were training the same way in the twenties, and they were playing the same style of play in the twenties. So I think when they when they came up to us, it was a seamless transition. I mean, that's what we were trying to achieve. So I think, um, so look, up you know, having coached in different continents and with different languages and using interpreters and all that, I, I feel uh, in a place now where I feel in a really, really um, good place in terms of experience, in terms of uh, knowing exactly. You know who I am as a coach, how I want to coach, what's important to me as a coach, and I think more importantly, I, I really believe in what US is doing. I really believe in uh, you know the first team where the first team is headed. I really believe uh, you know that there's some fantastic young players coming through in the country, um, and it's, it's, it's not only is exciting, but it's it's a huge you know I have a huge amount of pride. Um, to, to, to have the opportunity to, to help develop these younger players and, and try and push as many to the first team.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the kind of bonuses now of the fact that the, the, the senior team had to change their camp was you know, they're right here with you guys now. And, and I, I, my understanding is that you've had a chance to spend time with Greg and you guys had some, you know, had some dinners and talk philosophies. And, and, and when you talk about that whole aligning of the teams, how how have those conversations gone, and, and what is your sense about how, how that that's going to go, and how that's going
2: to fit? Um, I can only see I can only see it being a positive um, uh, process because I mean, first of all, we're we're very we're aligned in terms of how we work, how we think, um, how we want to play. <coughs> I probably wouldn't be if if we weren't. Um, even even before I came to the national team, you know, there were certain coaches in the, in MLS that I had a huge amount of respect for and um, admired from a distance, and really wanted to know more about how they how they taught their you know style of play, how they coached their players, and, and Greg was one of those. Peter um, Ramese is another person who I just had a huge amount of respect for, and was really curious about about these guys. And, and when I started to learn about how Greg works and. Uh, just watching his teams play was something that I, you know, was, was very inspiring and, um, and something that I, you know, I want to embrace, I want to learn from and also have my own my own, uh, my own stamp on it but, but, but in terms of having core principles about how we want to do things how we want to work on and off the pitch you know, we're all It's about. It really is about alignment. And and to answer your your question, this week's been good because we've we've been able to, and I've been able to to jump into a few meetings with those guys and um, you know talk about players, talk about processes, talk about training, and I think it's
0: it's been good. It's been really good. It it probably wasn't a coincidence watching you guys yesterday, (laughs) similar system, and, and Greg was there watching, and then someone like Cameron Harper. Played really well against Mexico. The next day, he's in there with the, with the senior team. Today, um, is it fair to say well, that's what we're going to see? That, that kind of aligning of, of systems and there's already that kind of process underway? I, I think, yeah. I mean, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm glad you were able to, to notice you know, sort of similarities. I think that's that's the that's the idea. We, we you know, I think. The the result from yesterday was that in the game, Cameron did some things that obviously impressed the first-team staff, um, and not only impressed them but did things that were very much in line to what they want in that position. Uh, So, you know, I think that's that's the objective. If we were playing in a completely different way, um, you know, I, I don't think it would have been as easy. I mean, you're going to spot talent, but it's not going to be as easy to go, right. well, he's doing exactly what we need from that position and he suits how we want. You know, it's very easy to bring him in and, um, and, and, and also easier once the players are there to, to understand, you know, to, to have a base foundation of you know, not to go in cold and, because you just don't have any time with the national team. You can't have two or three days to warm up and start. So you need to, from day one, you need to understand exactly what's going on and what's expected. Yeah, and, I, and I think by doing it, I think, I know by doing it this Sorry. way, it, help, it can only help
0: the players. Now that you've had some time, I know it's still early in the whole thing, but now that you've had some time to work with the group so far, I mean, has is, is the talent exceeded your expectations or have you been kind of pleasantly surprised it's better maybe than you thought it was or what have you thought?
2: Um, there's, obviously, there's a lot of players not here that I'm really excited to see as well, um, so I'm excited to work with those guys and the guys that have been uh, this week. I've 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 been really really pleased with. Uh, it's been uh, just as you said. It has been a pleasant it has been a pleasant pleasant surprise. Really, I think the the best thing is the the, the team the, the players have been really receptive. You have got a new coach coming in, um, <clears throat> somewhat new idea new new ideas, but. Um, it's not easy for young players. First of all, you come into the national team. Some of some of the, the guys, it's the first time in the national team, certainly at this level. So they're coming in. So there's there's nerve, there's nervousness there, there's um, anxiousness, and then you have a new coach come in, and you have a new coach come in with new staff, with the new staff, and not with the new. So it's all new for the players. And what's been impressive is the the players have really uh, applied themselves in a way that. And everything we've shown them, everything we've talked to them about, you know, where we have meetings in the evenings and we're talking about certain principles. Um, well, I think you see yesterday they, you know they're really trying to put them into practice, and so that's that's what the, the progression from the beginning of the week to now. I've been really pleased with. I was really pleased with yesterday. I think, you know, credit to them because they've you know they've been alert and attentive in every meeting, every training session. They've they've got on really well as a group and it uh, sort of made my job. Uh,
0: going through the process of not having things go well in a job is, is uh, the best. Going through that, when you went through that process. Like, how determined were you to kind of jump back on the horse and get the light like, something. Uh,
2: I, yeah, I, 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 think, um, I think adversity is uh, it's the, it's the moments where you learn so much. when I left Colorado I think the, the process went it, turned, it went from disappointment to anger to frustration to to like you know it's tough like it's, it's real tough because you put so much into the job you care so much and then suddenly it stops but then you come to a point where you you need to reflect and you need to figure out what happened why did it go wrong why didn't it work what you did well what you didn't do well what you need to change and then it's just the like, it's just that this is sheer determination to go and put it right and be a success make sure you don't make the same mistakes again you know I I think I'm I I feel like the you know the underdog in a way where it's you know when everyone you know people doubt you and question you it's the biggest motivation in the world and I think there's there's nothing better than uh, you know going through adversity and, and getting your head down and wanting to put people wrong but but I also I'm in a position I'm in a position now where I'm extremely proud to be here and I, my my motivation is to do all I can to make sure I help the national team and help develop and just play the end goal for me is I, I want to really truly play a, you know, a part in developing soccer in the country and, and I, believe I, I believe I can help what, what,
0: you talked about kind of learning learning from mistakes that were made in that process where you, for some people looking at, at the way it ended what stands out sound bites you know I know there were things you said yeah. being critical of the team that you had and so that's kind of like the, the lasting impression that yeah. you, you yeah. weren't accountable. You, you didn't take
2: accountability for your role in yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, when you look back on that, is that something that you could say you yeah. could that differently? Yeah, look, I, I 100% made a mistake there. And actually, the the way, what what came out, I didn't mean it to come out that way. Um, and it was a big lesson for me. And I think I think anyone that, knows, anyone that truly knows me and has worked with me players, staff, even in Colorado, because we, we had a tough time and we were changing the team and it was a tough period. You know, probably up until that last couple of minutes, and I defended the team. Always, that's it's just been my way and I've always, um, that's just been my way. But that, that certainly um, that is not, not a reflection of, of uh, who I am, it, but it was certainly a mistake that you know, I take full responsibility for. I, I, I look back and I, when I look back. I cringe. Like I, I don't like the fact that um, that happened. Um, I take full ownership and uh, what, a, what a big wake-up call well, that was uh, for me. But certainly, that's not who I am. That's not who I am as a coach. And uh, you know, it's um, it was a big
0: lesson. Frustration,
2: just letting, just kind of go. Yeah, no, but yeah, like, I, but also I think, um, it, also I actually it didn't come out the way I was. That was part of it as well. Um, but look, there's no, there's no excuses. It, you know, it, um, it was a big lesson for me. It's something that I look back and I, I'm definitely that won't be happening ever again
0: and that's anthony hudson uh apologies for the audio obviously uh that that interview took place in the lobby of a hotel in in sarasota florida so it wasn't wasn't exactly the the most uh audio controlled setting um but i uh, definitely wanted you to hear uh what he had to say on it and uh it was, it was some interesting comments from him and and it, time will tell obviously uh what he's able to do with this group the under 20 team uh has under 20 world cup qualifying later this year uh it's crazy how, how quickly we're already into the next under 20 cycle it, it feels like just yesterday the under 20s were, were were beating france in the under 20 world cup but here we are now into a new cycle and it needs to be said that uh, initially there was a sense that this next under 20 group would be a weaker group than the last one um but i tell you what looking at it now the way it's coming together. That under-20 group, the next under-20 group has some serious firepower, some serious potential. Uh, when you talk about a player like Ulianez, a player like Gio Reyna, uh, obviously you don't know his availability. You don't know how quickly he'll he'll adapt to the senior team. If, if he makes that transition to the senior team directly, uh, kind of following that Christian Pulisic route, then maybe he won't play a part in the under-20 uh, World Cup cycle under 20 qualifying cycle but still you have uh it, other players such as david ochoa the real salt lake goalkeeper who's really really good julian arahu the la galaxy fullback so uh indiana vasilev the aston villa winger who uh, made his first team debut with aston villa and he's only 18 so there's a lot of talent in that age group, in that under twenty age group, and that's not to, thats not even talking about all the players who were in the recent camp, such as Cole Bassett, the Rapids midfielder, or Cameron Harper, the uh, the Celtic winger, who was one of the more impressive players in that camp in January, and someone to definitely uh, keep an, keep an eye on uh, as a as an interesting prospect. So, there's a lot of talent in that under twenty group, and it's going to be interesting to see what Hudson can do with that group, and uh, if he can show. Uh, that he was a good hire, and, and if he can maybe prove the, the 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 skeptics wrong and prove the people wrong who have their doubts about him. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, because I had a conversation with him, that now I'm a believer, that now I think, oh yeah, no, Hudson's a good coach. No, I'm not there yet, folks. I'm definitely not in that camp that thinks, oh no, this this guy's figured it out now. This guy is the answer. But you know what? I think he had some sincere things to say uh, and I think, you know what, from what I've seen through the years and when it comes to coaching and, and it comes to, to coaches going through their experiences in their careers that, you know, experiences like what Hudson went through in Colorado can, off, can, can sometimes be the humbling experience that a coach needs to help them kind of see things differently, help them grow, help them understand the mistakes that they've been making and, and, and help force them to get better as coaches. So from that standpoint, if the U-20s end up getting a much better coach than the Colorado Rapids had when they had Hudson, then maybe, just maybe, this hire could actually turn out to be a good one. I believe that's it for this episode of the SBI Show. We've covered all the topics that I was looking to cover. Actually, there's one more that I have to touch on, and it's one of our favorite subjects here, Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, For those of you who missed it, he has resigned as manager of Hertha Berlin after just 10 matches due to what he called a lack of support. He didn't feel like he was being supported enough in his position as interim manager, and he has quit after just 76 days on the job. And uh, while Hertha Berlin is not in the relegation zone right now, they aren't necessarily in that much better shape than they were when he took over. Uh, obviously he got off to a, a promising start there, but then things kind of fizzled out and Hertha Berlin spent a ton of money in the winter transfer window with Klinsmann in charge to revamp the squad and the results really didn't change much. And now he's moved on. And and the crazy part about it is, uh, for those of you who weren't following along, Klinsmann was part of Hertha Berlin's board, right? He was on their board and, uh he stepped into the interim manager role he decided you know what i quit and now he and he actually tried to go back to the board and the and the club pretty much was like no you don't get to just quit the most important job at the club and then step into the board again that doesn't work that way so uh, needless to say he is moving on now to to try to find his next job and it's, uh, it, I hope it's an eye-opening situation for some, some folks who still believe that Klinsman was the answer for U.S. soccer. There, it's a, it, it boggles my mind that there are still people out there who actually buy into the notion that Klinsman w- wasn't the problem and that Klinsman was doing the right things when he was U.S. coach. And, and there's clearly a segment of the U.S. national team fan base that bought in completely to Cleansman's racket. And and when it comes down to it, folks, he's a smart guy, but he is not a coach. He's not a head coach. He's not a manager. He's an idea guy. He is not the guy you want running your team. He is not a tactical genius. He was one of the he was an absolute legendary player, but not but not all legendary players can go on to be excellent managers or even good managers. And he has shown time and again that you know what? He doesn't really have the chops as a manager. And it, it's just always been fascinating to me to see how people frame, framed his time with US, with the U.S. national team. And he definitely said some things that rubbed people the wrong way. He definitely said some things that, that he was absolutely right about, but maybe people didn't want to hear. But none of those things changed the fact that as a coach, as someone who was molding the team on the field, he didn't do a good enough job. And... Um, it was amazing to me that, you know, when he started at Berlin as the manager, and, you know, he got some good results early on. You started to see the Klinsman apologist come out of the woodwork. And, ah, see, this is what could have happened if he would have stayed as U.S. coach. Now, look, I get it. Bruce Arena didn't exactly do better once he replaced Klinsman. I totally agree with that. Bruce Arena botched it, too. But Bruce Arena botching the job, the cleanup job, does not change the fact that Klinsman left a mess for him to try to clean up. Both coaches were at fault. It took more than one coach to set the table for the disaster of missing the 2018 World Cup. Bruce Arena had his part to play, but Jurgen Klinsmann absolutely had his part to play. And those weren't the only two men either. I mean, you can argue Sunil Galati. If Sunil Galati had followed through and fired Jurgen Klinsmann after the Gold Cup in 2015, maybe he would have had uh, he would have given another coach more of an opportunity. To build something heading into 2018 but look that's water under the bridge everyone's moved on now the u.s has greg berhalter in charge now everything we're past that we're years past that but the reason i even feel like the reason i even feel compelled to bring this up and to discuss it is the fact that there are still people out there who think klinsman was the answer and who think klinsman if if he hadn't been fired uh, he would have, you know, he, he would have turned things around, or he would have helped the U.S. find success in the World Cup. That was the most amazing thing. Hearing Clinsman come out recently and say, "If he had been the U.S. coach, the U.S. could have made the World Cup semis. They could have," like, are you drunk? Like, are you crazy? Like, give me a break, Jurgen. No one's buying it. You know, well, not no one. There's still those that handful of fans who bought, bought, who drank the Clinsman Kool Aid and believed the nonsense, but. Hopefully now, this whole disaster, this fiasco at Hertha Berlin will open the eyes of some of those fans, some of those Klinsman apologists who refuse to believe that he was a fraud as a coach. He was an absolute fraud as a coach. Now, hopefully, hopefully, he finds the position somewhere that, that, that taps into what he does bring to the table. He's an idea guy. He absolutely is an idea guy. He's a smart guy. But... You don't want him running your team. You don't want him in charge of your team. You don't want him in charge of tactics. You don't want him in charge of putting the players on the field, halftime adjustments. He is not that guy. He's not a manager. He's not a head coach. We've seen it over and over. It's not, he's not that guy. So for anyone who still thinks that, I think it's time for you to to, to have a real, reality check here, folks, because the Berlin helped provide some evidence, some more evidence onto the pile that already existed. <laughs> That's all for now. Thank you for listening in. And uh, once again, apologies for the Saturday afternoon episode. Uh, The plan going forward is to drop two episodes a week. Uh, Ideally, we're dropping those on Monday and Friday. Uh, Still working out the kinks on those Uh, and we could end up having a few a few weeks where there's more or less episodes I want to have at least one a week, uh, but but with the MLS season coming and so many things to preview uh, There will be some preview episodes Eastern Conference preview Western Conference preview Uh, that'll be the week leading up to the start of the season, Uh, but hopefully uh, absolute worst case Tuesday morning drops and Friday afternoon drops is what I'm really kind of Trying to set out. Uh, best case scenario would be Monday morning and Friday morning, but you know things uh, have a way of of uh, working out differently sometimes, which was the case this week, obviously. And uh, bear with me as I uh, as I kind of settle back into the groove. But I definitely plan to keep the show around and keep the show rolling. And let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. Uh, I definitely appreciate the feedback. That's all for now. I'm Ivys Kolarcic. This is the SBI Show.